this is true news, the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help us God. I'm Rick Wiles. The world moved one step closer to World War III when President Joe Biden called Russian President Vladimir Putin a war criminal who should be arrested and prosecuted. Mr. Biden also vowed to impose more economic sanctions on Russia. Meanwhile, growing disruptions in the energy sector and worsening food shortages are reverberating across the world, with some nations experiencing 50% jump in food prices this week. Doc Burkhardt and I have the details. Doc. Here we are. We are. Uh, Joe Biden, uh, to call for, for the head of state of one nuclear-armed nation to call the head of state of another nuclear-armed nation a war criminal. Now, we just, should be prosecuted. Right. Now, I'm just wondering if the White House is going to walk back these comments like they did last week. Because no. when he mentioned this last time, uh, they came out That's quickly right. and said uh, he was expressing his frustration, his right. own personal opinion. This is not a change in policy. So is it now a change in policy, or is he just talking out of his head again? No, I think this time this is the official Biden policy. I think it is, too. I think they've finally caught up with him at this yes. point. So. Yes. Uh, but a war crimes trial is what they're talking about. Yes. We'll put the Wall Street Journal up on the uh, screen for you to see the headline. Uh, no, excuse me, it's uh, Washington Post. Biden calls for, for Putin war crimes trial. Now, this is, we're talking about Burisma, Burisma Biden. Right. Honest Joe. <laughs> the big guy. The big guy who gets 50% of his son's income, 10% of every deal. Uh, he's calling uh, Vladimir Putin a war criminal, and he wants him prosecuted, according to the International Criminal Court. Uh, serious charges, and um, I don't know how Mr. Biden expects to serve the warrant on Vladimir Putin. I mean, is the FBI going to go to Moscow with the arrest warrant? Right. I mean, how will that happen? That's just not even possible. But it does make for great rhetoric and great headlines, doesn't it? Yes, and they could they could file the charges uh, in the International Criminal Court, and um, Mr. Putin would be uh, locked down in his country. He'd never be able to leave Russia other than to go to places like um, Belarus. Right. Um, you know, there'd be a handful of countries that would allow him in without him having fear of being arrested. Um, but would, would, the, would the U.S. actually make a move to put handcuffs on Vladimir Putin? I don't see that happening anytime soon. And so, um, you know, there are so many different things that we can uh, say about the uh, particular situation. And uh, uh, the, once again, uh, this is President Biden stepping out of a helicopter walking up to the press, started to talk to them again. They started asking questions. And uh, President Biden once again called Russian President Vladimir Putin a war criminal and noted the grim scenes emerging as Russian troops pull out of the northern areas of Ukraine. He called for gathering more details toward a war crimes trial. Uh, he said, this guy's brutal and what's happening in Bucha is outrageous and everyone's seen it. Biden told reporters on Monday, adding, I think it's a war crime. Well, I don't doubt that there's a war crime going on. But there might be some doubts as to whether Russia perpetrated that war crime, right. particularly in Bucha or not. And so. Well, while he's uh, calling uh, Vladimir Putin a war criminal, he's also is calling Rupert Murdoch the most dangerous man in the world. Right. So uh, this is CNN business. And Brian Stelter wrote this article, Rick. And, and so uh, uh, now. Putin's obviously dangerous, right? But this is the most dangerous man in the world right here, Rick. The one that's, uh, you know, uh, promoting Fox News or the, you know, the head of uh, the Fox family and everything. So uh, on Stelter's article there, it says, in a forthcoming book, a pair of New York Times reporters and CNN political analysts report that President Joe Biden assessed Fox News as one of the most destructive forces in the U.S., the reporters, Jonathan Martin and Alexander Burns, say that Biden was even more critical of Fox Corp patri patriarch Rupert Murdoch. According to the book, Biden told an unnamed associate in mid-2021 that Murdoch was the most dangerous man in the world. 
now this description comes many chapters into this new book, This Will Not Pass, Trump, Biden, and the Battle for America's Future, which is coming out in May. The book describes Fox as a torrent of anti-Biden programming, stoking skepticism about vaccines and disseminating wild conspiracy theories about the January 6th attack. Doc, if Joe Biden thinks Fox News is uh, dangerous, uh, he called it the most destructive, one of the most destructive forces in the United States, and he's calling Rupert Murdoch the most dangerous man in the world. Right. Pretty moderate news network, in my opinion. What, what would Joe Biden think of True News? <laughs> yeah, we'd be way out on the frontier for him. So, but, but we're, you know, the President of the United States um, naming a a corporate executive who owns a, you know, a not just Fox News, Wall Street Journal, right, the Times of London. Sky News. Sky News. Um, Sky uh, Australia. He's, he, he's global. In newspapers in Australia. He's calling him the most dangerous man in the world. Okay? Calling Fox News a destructive force in the nation. This is the kind of rhetoric that you see coming out of, of dictators that later start issuing decrees. These people have to be rounded up or these people have to be silenced. Yes. And so you're right, Rick. And so that is that what we're going to be seeing next? Are we going to be seeing, you know, uh, maybe Biden ordering the FCC saying take away their uh, ability, Fox's ability to be on cable because they don't, you know, follow the party line. Now, I'm of the opinion Fox is already gone in itself because of its, its uh, particular, it's one little glimmer of hope out there in the media. But, uh, Still, for a sitting president to call a corporate executive the most dangerous man in the world, when you got a war going on, and Rupert Murdoch is the mm -hmm. most dangerous man in the world, he's the most dangerous man in the world because uh, he has the ability to expose Joe Biden if he so chose to, but for whatever reason, they're not choosing to. Well, keep in mind, Murdoch owns New York Post. Right. New York Post has done an outstanding job on the Hunter Biden story. And they've been consistent with it for two years. Yes. And in spite of all the setbacks and the deplatforming by the social media networks and everything over particular articles, now it's like the rest of the mainstream media has woke up, you know, not admitting that the New York Post was right, but saying, look what we found. So maybe when Mr. Biden th calls Rupert Murdoch dangerous and um, that is, his entities are destructive, Maybe he's thinking about the New York Post and its investigative reporting on Hunter Biden because the Biden family is a corrupt uh, crime syndicate. It is, it's, a, it's, a, it's a mafia. The, racket, the Bidens ought to be arrested for racketeering. They should be because that's exactly what they were doing. Racketeering is, a, a, you know, the best way to describe it is uh, different individuals working together in concert uh, for a common goal, especially when it comes to deception, yes. financial dealings, and things like that. Okay, so the man who literally coined the phrase and, in, and basically in, invented the criminal term of racketeering was Rudy Giuliani. Right. Rudy Giuliani is the one who went to Ukraine yes. to investigate the Biden racketeering. Right. The and guy who invented the term racketeering went to investigate But now who's, who is under arrest and who is, well, say, uh, did they arrest? Uh, no, they raided his house. They raided his house. Right. But, yeah, who's under investigation by the Biden administration? Rudy Giuliani. Rudy Giuliani, who is the best in the nation at busting racketeers. So what's the Biden crime family doing? They're going after the prosecutors. What yes. did Joe Biden do in Ukraine? He Went forced the them to fire the prosecutor who was investigating Burisma. And held him out on a $1 billion, uh, you know, basically threat. If you don't get rid of this prosecutor, you don't get $1 billion. So, of our money. So that's how valuable that prosecutor was. Well, Rick, uh, all the uh, conflict with uh, Ukraine and Russia is having, of course, it's ripple effect around uh, Europe. 
today, interesting story and something that you, uh, it, when I first saw it, it kind of shocked me. Wall Street Journal is reporting that Berlin is taking control of Gazprom's German business. So it's not enough that they're commandeering yachts and all these other things around the world. Now they're actually taking over entire businesses, business they, structures in other nations. They nationalized it. Gazprom is, uh, you know, it's, it's the uh, ExxonMobil of, of Russia. Right. So imagine, you know, somebody saying to, um, to us here in the U.S., we are going to nationalize Standard Oil or uh, Exxon or Texaco or anything like that that was in another country. That has happened yes. in the past. And so, well, um, Gazprom last week announced that they were leaving Germany. Right. And that's why, that's why the German government today nationalized the company before they could get out of town, to, which means they seized their assets their bank accounts, their buildings, everything, and made it the property of German government. Well, why was Gazprom leaving Germany? Because the sanctions that the EU and Russia and the United States have put on Russian uh, businesses and business people and the Russian government, making it extremely, not only uh, difficult, but dangerous to do business if you're a Russian. And so they, they packed up. They said, we're leaving. We're leaving right. Germany. This is an unfriendly environment now. So, yeah, so Germany said, no, you're not leaving. We're going to seize the company. <laughs> but guess what? They get, Germany can seize the company, but if Russia doesn't send any gas to Germany, what does it matter? Right. Now, I guess they got their bank accounts. You know, whatever money Gazprom had in any German bank, I guess, I guess Germany got it. it, it you know, buildings, um, the pipelines, whatever they have that's in, in, on German soil, the Germans now have it. We, we have governments seizing private property simply just... because they don't like the policies of another government. And they're seizing private property of individuals simply because of their nationality. Right. I mean, every American ought to be, we ought to be thinking about this. If you're doing business in another country, you have an investment, real estate, you know, businesses, uh, um, franchises, whatever. E equipment. Equipment. And the government could just seize your, your assets because you're an American. Yes. Not because you did anything wrong, but because you're an American. Right. That'd be the same thing. That's what the... The Biden administration has done to Russia, and the outcry from uh, you know an American that may have investment somewhere else is that that's not fair. You can't do that. This is private property. Uh, so while a lot of the uh, uh, conservatives here and the warmongers here in the U.S. they're applauding these uh, types of things, the same people that right. that defend private property rights. Yes. Uh, but but they, don't, they don't believe other people have private property rights. Right. So uh, the Wall Street Journal says that the German government will temporarily take control of a key unit of Russian state-owned natural gas giant Gazprom in a bid to secure gas deliveries as tensions grow between Russia and Europe over energy supplies. Economy Minister Robert Habeck said Monday that the Federal Network Agency would become a trustee of Gazprom Germania until September 30th. Now, the move comes after Gazprom on Friday said it was exiting its business in Germany without elaborating. But I don't see this as being a temporary move. This is going to be more of a permanent move because it's going to take years to reconcile a lot of these issues. Well, and uh, it makes it sound like that, uh, you know, this will somehow secure gas deliveries. Well, taking somebody's property away from them isn't going to secure the gas delivery at all, is it? No, it's going to make sure that, that Russia doesn't deliver any more gas. It's not only uh, corporations that the West is seizing, it's also the private assets of Russian, uh, wealthy Russian people. And today, the FBI seized a yacht that belongs to a Russian billionaire that was parked in Spain. Yeah, so his only crime as far as the, uh, you know, the capture of this uh, particular yacht was that he was close to Vladimir Putin. That's his only crime. That's it. Okay, so can, can other nations seize the assets of any American businessman who knows Joe Biden? Well, think about it. 
What if the GRU went to some, uh, you know, country in the Mediterranean, let's say Italy, for instance, and they worked together with the Italian government and they seized a yacht belonging to an American? Mm -hmm. Would people be upset about that? Of yes, course. of course they would be. And that's where but it's that's going. That's exactly what this is. And that's where it's going. It, it, it's going to be one country seizing the assets of citizens of another country and then retaliation. There's right. no end to this stuff. The Biden administration and Western Europe have ended a principle of private property rights. And it's really important to understand this. Absolutely. They have ended a principle of private property rights and due process. This man, I'm not defending, I don't have no idea. His name's uh, 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 Vexelberg. Uh, Victor Ve Vexelberg, yes. I don't know anything about this man. Okay, we've got a, quote, a couple quotes from right. the... Uh, from the story. Now, a yacht belonging to Russian billionaire Victor Vexelberg was confiscated in Spain at the request of the U.S. government, which said it was the first, but definitely not the last, asset seizure targeting individuals close to Vladimir Putin. The 78-meter-long ship called Tango is valued at more than $99 million. The yacht has been impounded at the port of Palma de Mallorca by police in coordination with the FBI according to a statement from the Spanish Civil Guard on Monday. Now, it goes on to say that Vexelberg, who's uh, the chairman of Renova Management and is worth $16.9 billion, according to Bloomberg's Billionaires Index, has been sanctioned by the U.S. Treasury Department's Office of Foreign Assets Control, but not the European Union. Now, think about that, folks. The Cook Islands flagged vessel is registered by a Virgin Islands-based entity managed in turn by other firms in Panama, okay. right, the there's three, noted. three countries right there, Doc. Well, four if you count Spain, too. Yeah. Well, but I'm talking about the, the, um, the legal uh, domicile of the ship. Okay, so take, let's put that back up there. The ship was flagged in the Cook's Island in the Pacific. Right. Okay. It is registered in the Virgin, the Virgin Island. Islands. And it's managed by a Panamanian firm. Mr. Vecklesberg operated on the advice of his attorneys who said, here is a plan to protect your ship. Right. But that plan just went out the window. Because the, F the U.S. FBI went to Spain and said, we want that, we want that ship. Now, notice that the EU did not take control of that ship but the FBI. What crime did Vexelberg do? He, but, but did the FBI ever seize Jeffrey Epstein's mansions? Not that I'm aware of. Of course not, because he worked for Israel. <laughs> now, this, the, another quote from this particular article gets even more interesting here, Rick. The seizure was coordinated through the U.S. Justice Department's task force klepto capture an interagency group aimed at imposing stiff penalties on wealthy Russians in response to Moscow's military invasion of Ukraine. Well, it's the Justice Department that's the kleptomaniacs. That's right. They're the kleptocapturists there. And so, uh, once again, their only crime is being Russian and having money. Yes. That's their only crime. They didn't do anything wrong. They, the, but they, that, they weren't transporting drugs. Sorry. They weren't trafficking little children like Epstein. They didn't do any of these things right. that we know of, not charged with it. That's not what they went after but the ships for. But they're yes. Russians, and for being a Russian, they're now a criminal. Think about where we have gone in, what, two a months? Month, yeah, a month and a half, One, really. Yeah, a month and a half. Centuries, centuries of rule of law have been discarded in six weeks. Now, fair game. If I say... I'm coming after your stuff. I don't need proof that you did anything wrong. It's just, hey, you're white. That's exa essentially it, isn't it? Right? You're white. You're an American. You're a Russian. You're black. You're this. I mean, that, these are the new terms to, to seize private assets. They're setting, they're setting the, the, the bar. And, and they're going to use this against us. They did yes. it to the Canadian truck drivers. Yeah. Oh, you protest the government? We're taking your trucks. Oh, We're going to take your bank account. You said nice things about Vladimir Putin? Yeah. We're, we'll, we'll fix your red wagon. So.
That's exactly yeah. where they're going with this. Yes. People need to understand that this international application is going to be brought home. Why? This was the FBI. Okay, this was the FBI operating internationally. Oh, you, you international. You you criticized your county school board. The FBI is under instructions by the Attorney General, Mary Garland. Uh, treat uh, parents that go to school board meetings as domestic terrorists. Well, if you're a domestic terrorist, the FBI can come in and take your bank account from you. That's right. Take your assets away from you. Drive off with your car. Take make make you move out of your house. Who are the racketeers? <laughs> Who are the mafia crime bosses here? It's the leaders of the Western world. They're not diplomats. They're not statesmen. They're racketeers. They're thugs. They're criminals. And every day that goes by, they act more like what they really are. They can't, they can't hide it anymore. They're not even pretending to be statesmen anymore. They just relabel it. And so... Uh, so if you happen to be Russian and you have, happen to have a billion dollars, you might be constantly looking over your shoulder to ask yourself, uh, well, are they going to take my stuff next? And so Jerusalem Post is, uh, has this article here. Unsanctioned Russian oligarch Prokhorov flees to Israel and gets citizenship. And he's not the first one. So the Jewish billionaires are moving to Israel and not a word has been said about it. They're not sanctioned. Their, their yachts are not seized, their bank accounts are not seized, they just move to Israel, and Israel gives them passport. So is this a wealth transfer? You better believe it. So These people will never go back to Russia. They will run their businesses from Israel. So unsanctioned Russian oligarch Mikhail Prokhorov obtained Israeli citizenship after arriving on a private jet from Switzerland last week, Ynet reported Monday. Prokhorov, valued as the 193rd richest person in the world by Forbes magazine at 11.5 billion, was considered eligible to return, uh, to receive citizenship rather, under the law of return. Now, as of April 4th, Prokhorov's name is not mentioned on the list uh, of sanctioned oligarchs compiled by the United States or any other Western nation. Uh, Rick, he formerly owned the NBA's Brooklyn Nets. Uh, Prokhorov made his wealth through his uh, mining and smelting company Norilsk Nickel, whose shares were once owned by Russian-Israeli oligarch Roman Abramovich. Who Pro is now in Israel. Yes. Prokhorov previously tried his hand at Russian politics, challenging uh, Vladimir Putin in the 2012 presidential elections as an independent. Oh, so he wasn't close to Putin. He ran against Putin. And then he ran to Tel Aviv. Yes. Okay. With his money and now he's gonna run his business from Israel. So certain people, certain, Rus certain Russian billionaires get a pass. Certain ones. Certain ones, all right? If they qualify to enter Israel, they get a pass. They don't have to worry about the FBI coming to get their yacht. Like I said, the FBI never ever raided any of Jeffrey Epstein's mansions never investigated Epstein. I mean, to this day, I don't know if the FBI has ever visited Zorro Ranch. No, we do know it was for sale a few months ago, right. but uh, who knows what they've done with it, and so. And where is Anthony Weiner's laptop? Uh, if probably stuck away in some file drawer in the FBI field office in Secaucus, New Jersey, somewhere, and so. I would say, Doc, it or at the bottom of uh, at the Hudson, bottom of the Hudson River. Yeah. It, you're so. not going to see that thing again. Uh, where are we? Okay, well, let's uh, change. Uh, oh, one more thing on Russia before we we change. Um, the head of uh, of Russia's space agency, their NASA, has threatened to. Uh, that Russia would just uh, decouple from the International Space Station. You know, this has got to be kind of an uncomfortable situation for those guys up there, isn't it? Yeah, you got Russians in the space station. So, uh, Dmitry Rogozin, the head of Roscosmos, said in a social media post that the aim of the sanctions was to kill the Russian economy and plunge our people in despair and hunger to get our country on its knees. He added that they won't succeed in it, but the intentions are clear. He went on to say, that's why I believe that the restoration of normal relations between the partners at the International Space Station and other projects is possible only with full and unconditional removal of illegal sanctions, Rogozin said. Rogozin said, Roscosmos proposals on wind-to-end cooperation 
over the ISS with space agencies of the U.S., Canada, the EU, and Japan would soon be reported to Russian authorities. And so they've put the plan in place now to, in essence, decouple uh, the Russian space agency from uh, the International Space Station there. So that's a significant step. So it's gone beyond borders now. It's gone be even beyond land and sea. It's gone to space now yes. with uh, this conflict. Um, Mr. Robeson, a few weeks ago, actually threatened to abandon the American astronauts in the space station. Yeah, because the Americans have been catching rides on mm -hmm. Russian air, uh, spacecraft mm -hmm. to get and, up to the space station. And he's like, well, we're going to come home and we'll leave you guys up there. You guys, can, you Americans uh, can go get them. <laughs> you figure it out. Go get them. Would they do something like that? I don't know. But he did threaten it. Uh, the West needs to think about the steps that they're taking. Um, the, the blowback that's going to come against us. At some point, a, a significant part of the world just says, we're done. We're done with you, okay? We're not, it, we're not going to act diplomatic with you in any way now. Right? What he said, look at what he said. Uh, he said, it's, it's, the purpose of the sanctions is to kill the Russian economy and plunge our people into despair and hungry and get our country on its knees. But it's exactly said, it's not going to work. That is exactly what the West is doing. And as I said last week, what the West is after is Russia's gold. Because Russia, Russia is moving very quickly. I think they've already implemented it. I think it happened last week, a gold-backed ruble, which is, the next step is a gold-backed Russian digital coin. And it will be a game-changer. And I believe that what the West wants to do is to force Russia into bankruptcy, force them to sell their gold, and thus block the introduction of a gold-backed currency in the world. Because what is the U.S. going to back? What are, the, what are we going to introduce? What's, what currency can we introduce that, that isn't backed by lead? What do we have? That, that's it. That's all we have. Because that's all we've been operating on for 50 years is uh, lead-based uh, currency. And by that, I mean a bullet-based currency. So, Well, I want to turn our attention to uh, the impact that all this is having on food. And uh, for whatever reasons, uh, there are food shortages. You, whether this is uh, real or contrived, the bottom line is there, are, there are food shortages. And it, you can see... You can see the evidence of it very quickly. A quick survey of, of global news headlines reveals shortages and steep price increases around the world. The first one, this is from today's Jerusalem Post. 50,000 tons of Israeli produce may be destroyed due to the Ukraine war. And what's interesting about this is why they're being destroyed. Israeli farmers are destroying thousands of tons of fresh vegetables as produce exports to Russia and Ukraine have ground to a halt due to the ongoing war. Carrots, celery, potatoes, radishes, and more, up to 50,000 tons of agricultural products are rotting in warehouses are facing certain destruction. It's the payment for goods that have also stopped on account of the plummeting value of the ruble and sanctions in response to the brutal Russian invasion of Ukraine. The situation has resulted in a crisis for hundreds of Israeli farmers with some having been forced to destroy entire crops after finding no alternative places to sell their produce. So once again, the sanctions on Russia have now prevented Israeli farmers from being able to ship produce that they have in hand that they could sell right now, today, if there were no sanctions in place. We see the sanctions being extremely disruptive to the entire world. Next one, uh, bread prices rise sharply in Greece. This is a, some types of bread uh, shooting up 40%. All right, and this is in combination to a rise in the price of flour and electricity. Greece gets a lot of its wheat products from Ukraine. And so they're reliant on Ukraine, and that uh, has now been disrupted thanks to everything that's going on in Ukraine. Another one, this is from uh, Japan. Food inflation takes a bigger bite in Japan 
with bread leading the way. Why bread? Because of wheat. Russia and Ukraine produce nearly one-third of all the wheat in the world. Right, so that means that Japanese food manufacturers that make everything from bread to pasta, they're seeing prices uh, escalating at a rate they haven't seen in years. Doc, uh, in, in Great Britain, uh, the country's uh, uh, Bakery and Snacks Federation, it's a trade association of, of bakers, Federation of Bakers, sent a letter to the UK government pleading with them to prevent a looming crisis in food. Uh, the worst, uh, the letter said, uh, as never seen before in Great Britain. Now, that's saying a lot there, isn't it, Rick? I yes. mean, never seen before. Uh, Great, Britain's, Great Britain's been around a really long time. That's right. And to see uh, something like this on their radar. So the Federation of Bakers warns the next six months will be a bumpy ride for the baking industry with impending cost increases and supply uncertainty not seen in the past generation, if ever. And so the, these are new things. So when you hear warnings from President Biden and uh, uh, Justin Trudeau and Klaus Schwab that uh, there are upcoming food shortages, don't blow them off. You're already beginning to see these things happening in different places around. Hasn't come to full impact here in the U.S. yet. You, you still you go to the grocery store. There's still some bread there on the shelf. Yes, but now that ripple effect is going to start kicking in here. That's right. So if you're thinking, uh, well, eventually this will get straightened out and prices will come down. Uh, just just relax, Rick. It, it's you know things go up and they come down. Right. But the Bible says that in the last days before the return of Christ, there will be an extreme shortage of food, and uh, food prices will be astronomical. In fact, the Bible even prophesied over 2,000 years ago what the price of bread would be in the world just before the return of Jesus Christ. It's found in Revelation chapter 6, verse 6. Right. He says, Then I heard a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a day's wages, and three quarts of barley for a day's wages, and do not harm the oil and the wine. And so let's say that someone earns $20 an hour, okay? Just, a, and it's an eight hour day, that's $160 a day. So imagine going to the grocery store and buying a quart of wheat, raw wheat, raw flour. A quart. Yeah, a quart. Not, a 50, not a 50 pound bag. Right, for $160. And so the implication is from that verse is that, you know, uh, if you had a quarter of wheat, you could make a loaf of bread from, a, a, you know, a quart of wheat. And that loaf of bread would feed one person for one day. That's yes. the idea. So just to sustain yourself, your daily wage would just be sustaining yourself, not anyone else. No one else. So everybody no, in your family's got to earn enough to buy a, that, a that, quart of wheat. That's the implication there. And so, and uh, uh, if three quarts of barley, well, that's another. It's a day's wages as well. And it's interesting that it also talks about the oil and the wine. Now, who would have yeah. thought that they, 2,000 years ago, that they would be concerned about oil and the wine? Uh, but uh, here we are in these uh, final days. And we hear the book of Revelation talking about the oil and the wine. That oil is a scarce commodity, mm -hmm. would be a scarce commodity. That wine would be a scarce, uh, a scarce commodity. And with wine, it was more than just drinking. Uh, for wine, it sustained life because you can drink a lot of water. Mm -hmm. uh, so they process wine for drinking. And so, uh, so even your thirst, you'd be fighting to get your thirst quenched every day. And you need oil, or at least oil in, uh, you know, the living sense, to make bread. If you don't have oil, you can't make bread. So, uh, you just make hardtack biscuits. And mm -hmm. so, um, so it's interesting that in Revelation six six it talks about these things. So when you see these extreme, uh, you know, price increases, and it's interesting that it was on bread today. Yes. All the stories on bread. Yes. All over. I mean, we could have done four or five more stories. They're everywhere today. It's just bread so weird around the world. Bread. So it's it's once again God affirming the the accuracy and the legitimacy of His word. He's given us a warning. Whether this is a fulfillment of Revelation six six is beside the point. If 
If it's if it is, then you need to be concerned. If it's not, you've been warned. But it does give us an idea of what it will be like when that when that prophecy is fulfilled. Right. Something will be going on in the world that involves wheat. Right. So right now it's happening. Yes, sir. Is it, is this the the uh, literal fulfillment of Revelation 6:6? We don't know yet, but we are now seeing skyrocketing prices for wheat and shortages of wheat. Now, I, I don't know how many of you are familiar with a grocery chain called Aldi's. They're becoming very popular here in Florida. I don't know how many other states Aldi's is in, but they are popping up in a lot of Florida cities and towns. It's a German retailer. And uh, so I've, I saw this uh, story over the weekend. Uh, German retailer Aldi to to raise prices 20 to 50 percent today. Today. <laughs> today. The, the grocery store raised prices today 20 to 50 percent. So, now, yeah, this Doc, is. I had to, Eric sent that to us over the weekend, and I immediately had to search for other stories to verify, am I, is this for real? Because, you know, people, there's a lot of fake stuff out there. Right. People make up stories and it looks, it looks real. And, and so I looked into it on German news sites and yes, it's true. Now imagine right, here in the U.S., or right, here in Florida, right, Publix is a big right. popular a grocery chain. Doc, if you went to Publix tonight after work and prices were up 50% since yesterday. I'd be in total shock. I'd be asking, what's going on out here? What's happening? I, I mean, I just, you know, bought chicken for this. Now yes. it's this today. Yeah. So if during the night while the store was closed, the employees increased the prices 50% on everything in the store and you walk in there on Monday morning, and you're expecting you know, these many bags of groceries is going to cost you a hundred dollars, and now it's 150. Just like that. Yeah. Yeah, it'd be quite the shock for how, us. How many people are going to be devastated by these prices? This is in one day. This isn't over a year. This one isn't day. over a decade. A, a day. So, is this going to happen again next week? Is it going to happen today, tomorrow? I mean, you had a 20 to 50% increase today. Will you have a 20 to 50% increase tomorrow? You could. You had it today. And so Aldi's is known for uh, discounted prices and everything. Now, these prices don't appear to be impacting uh, prices at Aldi stores here in the U.S., but for Germans and, uh, you know, they're, they're going to be in some severe sticker shock today yeah. as they head to their local Aldi grocery store expecting discounted prices and finding a 50% uh, price right. increase. Hey, so. I'm going I'm to tell a story that I, I told you and, and our team this morning. This uh, happened to me over the weekend. So I've been, uh, I've been in a uh, uh, pickup truck frenzy lately. I haven't. I haven't had a pickup truck for years, and and lately I've just been thinking I need a pickup truck. <laughs> so, you know, um, our property that we have now, I, we we have some acreage. Uh, we do a lot of planning. Uh, I'm constantly going to, you know, to uh, nurseries and things. Uh, Susan Susan would buy plants all day long if if she could. You know, just. She has a. She's got a great uh, gardening skill, and our 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 front yard is beautiful with with uh, shrubbery and flowers. And, and you gotta it, have a truck. It really is. So I'm I'm constantly hauling dirt. I'm hauling plants. I'm hauling, and I'm putting it in our car. And I get the car nice and clean. And what what happens the next day? I, I got to go pick up more plants, more dirt, you know, all fertilizer, all this. So I'm thinking, you know what? I haven't had a pickup truck for years, and uh, I'm going to start looking at a pickup truck. So I'm glad Amazon doesn't sell pickup trucks because I'd probably hit the buy button, you know, <laughs> and have one delivered to my house. But anyhow, I had not been to any dealerships. So, I, so over the weekend, I went to a dealership 
to actually look at a truck. I think, oh, this is getting serious now. I'm actually, You're actually you know, walking I'm actually walking dealer. around looking at trucks now. Um, but let me tell you what happened to me. So I found a truck that I was interested in. And it was, it was a new truck. And so it had the manufacturer's suggested retail price on the yeah, window, the on the windshield. Window sticker, okay? Yeah. But it had another, another sticker. A second sticker. A stick. second sticker, and it was $10,000 higher than the manufacturer's su suggested retail price. Okay. So I'm, I asked the, the salesman, I go, I'm, I'm confused. You got two stickers, two prices. W what's going on here? And, and so he goes, well, this is the... Uh, this is the manufacturer's suggested retail price. That's, that's what we normally sell this truck at. Okay. I said, well, what is this price over here? He goes, well, this is the new price because of the shortage. The shortage price. I, I said, what, what, do you, what did you just say? He goes, it says it real smug. He goes, supply and demand. There's a shortage of trucks. And we're charging an extra $10,000, basically a shortage fee. Right. Okay. Oh my, Doc. That probably didn't go over too it well with you. It did not go over well with me. And I said, so the owner of this dealership is a price gouger. Is that what you're telling me? He's a price gouger. No, well, no, no, no. He goes, I'm not saying you're going to pay the 10,000. I said, well, yeah, because I'll tell you I'm not going to pay the 10,000, okay? So what was his, the tactic then? He said, you and I are going to negotiate how much of this 10,000 you're going to pay. And I said, no, we're not. I said, because I'm going over to this other price, and we're going down. Right. Not, we're not going over here and going up. What they want you to do, Doc, think about the psychological. We're going to take you to this other price, and now you can... Look how much you saved. Look how much you saved. When actually it's a price increase, it's no matter price what increase. you do. And I said, no, sir, we're going to talk about this price, and we're going to go down. He goes, no, we're not. He goes, we're talking this price. I said, no, what we're talking about is goodbye. I'm leaving right now. Let me ask you, was the lot full of cars and trucks? Not really. Well, I mean, it wasn't empty. Okay, it so they had vehicles yeah. to sell. Oh, oh, that particular model? It had half dozen of them. Okay. Half so dozen. He could have sold any one of those vehicles yes. that day, yeah. and they would have still had a supply, right? Yes. That's right. So I stopped at another dealership, mm -hmm. and... They had six, seven of those trucks on the lot, but they didn't have the surcharge. I asked the salesman, is this the price? Yeah, this is the price right here. Manu manufacturer's suggested retail price. You got, you got another surprise for me anywhere? No, this is it right here. Yeah, so this you're, one not charge, you're not charging a shortage fee? Yeah. So you, when I told you this story, you found that Subaru... Right. Corporately, Subaru put out a statement to all Subaru dealers. I've never owned a Subaru in my life, and that's not what I'm looking at. Um, but Subaru found that there are American dealers doing the same deal. Yes. This, this shortage surcharge. Right. And Subaru told their dealers, do not do this. This is against our principles. It's against, and it ruins our brand. Yes. And specifically in the letter, it said it ruined their brand. And uh, they said, you know, if you don't want to be a, basically told them, if you don't want to be a Subaru dealer, don't be a Subaru dealer. But we have principles and we have a standard that we yeah. go by here yeah. that our price is our price. We, we feel like our customers expect quality. We charge for it, too. But we don't upcharge on the quality either. Yeah. Hey, so, I don't mind. I'll tell you, the, the dealership here is Wallace. I'll just tell you their name. They're price gougers. And Mr. Wallace, we're here right now. I tell you, Mr. Wallace, you are a price gouger. You got to be ashamed of yourself. He's got dealerships all over um, this Treasure Coast, Florida, you know, uh, Port St. Lucie, uh, Martin County, West Palm Beach. I don't know how far down the coast he goes. He's a very big dealership. Right. All right. He should be ashamed of himself. He is gouging his customers. The very people who've done business with him, I bought a car from him in the past. I wouldn't step foot on his lot now. I wouldn't go near him ever again because he's a price gouger. Okay? The, it, the mess that this country's in, he's saying, I can make a lot more money. I could really hurt people right now. I could suck the money out of their bank account. That's what he's saying. Right. 
I mean, he's telling his, his, he's telling his sales reps, gouge them. Get an extra 10 grand out of them. For why? Because you don't have any vehicles? No, the vehicles are sitting here. Yeah, you're supposed to sell them. That's how you make money, supposedly. But, so if you come across a car dealer with, with this tactic, you ought, to, you ought to shame them, embarrass them, because they need to be ashamed. They need to be embarrassed. They need to feel the sting of being publicly humiliated in their community, and then they're embarrassed. Oh, I wish we never did that. But apparently there are people dumb enough to pay the, the surcharge. I guess, Doc, there are people doing it, or you wouldn't continue doing it. Right. I, I just, it's not the way I, I buy things. I just can't think what goes through the thinking of a person who says, there are two prices on this product, uh, I'll pay the higher price. <laughs> I, I just, I, it just, I can't fathom that. Or somehow be convinced if I negotiate from the higher price, I'm getting a deal. When there's two prices on the vehicle. My idea of a deal is a lot less than what they're asking for. <laughs> right. All right. And that's the way I buy real estate, it's the way I buy car. I don't, I don't, I don't pay the price that's up front. All right. You negotiate. And, um, but if you're starting out at the position that you're negotiating for on how much of a gouge they're going to get you for, that's not negotiation. Right. That's literally thievery. Thievery, <laughs> what they're doing. So be prepared for it as you go out there. Uh, let's see, what else we got here? Um, well, we had Jamie, Jamie Diamond. Oh, yeah, Jamie Diamond, City. Go ahead, Doc. Yeah, so uh, Jamie Diamond is... Uh, and making a uh, uh, presentation to investors and kind of giving them a heads up of what to expect here in the future. And when Jamie Dimon speaks, as they used to say of the uh, old uh, financial advisor, uh, people listen. So the Federal Reserve and the government, he, this is uh, Jamie Dimon saying this, the Federal Reserve and the government were right to take bold actions amid the pandemic, but stimulus probably lasted too long, said Dimon. He believes the rate rises needed to rein in inflation would be significantly higher than the markets expect. And so what he's doing is he's telegraphing to you and forecasting to you that you can expect not just maybe five or six rate hikes this year, but rate hikes, significant rate hikes this year as we move forward. He's saying that the hostilities in Ukraine and the sanctions on Russia are already having a substantial economic impact. So JP Morgan economists think that the Euro area, highly dependent on Russia for oil and gas, We'll see GDP growth roughly of 2% in 2022 instead of the 4.5% pace expected before the invasion began. So by contrast, they expect the U.S. economy to advance only roughly 2.5% versus uh, estimated previous 3%. Now, these uh, estimates are based upon a fairly static view of the war in Ukraine and the sanctions now in place, Diamond wrote. More Russian sanctions are possible, he noted along with the unpredictability of the war itself and the uncertainty surrounding the global commodity supply chain, this makes for a potentially explosive situation. He went on to say that the confluence of the dramatic stimulus-fueled recovery from the pandemic, the likely need for rapid rate rises, and the war in Ukraine and the sanctions on Russia may be unprecedented. They present completely different circumstances than what we've experienced in the past, and their confluence may dramatically increase the risk ahead, Diamond wrote, adding the war will also affect geopolitics for decades. One thing to keep in mind as uh, he's saying this, if you didn't know better, you would say that this was planned, mm -hmm. that there was a plan in place to make this happen, that the economies of the world were chugging along just a bit too fast, and they decided, let's put some brakes on this one way or another. Um, I don't think the supply chain issues are real. I think they're manufactured, and, but it wasn't enough for them. It wasn't enough. And it's enough. given companies the cover to implement steep price increases. Right. Because we just went through, whether you realize it or not, we went through about 10 years of deflation since 2008. It was deflation. I know a lot of people like, I don't know. No. Prices were deflated. Yes. They're, they're giving the companies legal cover to regain ground. Lost ground, yes. 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 So 
they're taking us up to what they think we should have been paying had had there not been deflation since 2008. And something else he said at the end, he says this will affect geopolitics for decades. Yes. In other words, look, we're not talking about uh, the Russia-Ukraine uh, situation lasting a year or two. Uh, we're talking about that impacting things 10, 20, 30, 40 years out. That's so right. they have, listen, none of these guys do anything on a short-term plan. They're planning 30, 40, 50 years out as far as uh, finances yeah. are concerned. Oh, the next one's, uh, we, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, Boyan Star. Um, it, Boyan Star is a, a company in Singapore uh, that you can store um, gold, precious metals in their vault. And they have an excellent article. I'd recommend that you go to Boyan Star and read this article. Russian ruble relaunched was linked to gold and commodities. Now, we talked about it on True News last week. It has received very little attention in America, but this is a huge story. And the ruble is back up to its, its uh, strength of where it was before the war started. Right. And it's going to become a stronger currency because Mr. Putin has linked it to gold and to other commodities um, that Russia has large supplies. Next one is uh, Shanghai separates COVID-positive children from their parents. Look at this. Yes. The communist police and the communist military going house to house and taking the children from the parents, taking them to COVID quarantine camps. The parents don't know where their children were taken. This is what Joe Biden and the Democrats would like to bring to the United States of America. Absolutely right. The China way. They would love that. Especially those uh, people infected with whatever they're, they happen to be opposed to. It infected with truth. Yes. And righteousness. Hey, we'll just take your kids. Because you're an infection in our society. So. It'll teach you a lesson. Uh, mm. South China Morning Post, China starts COVID-19 mass testing for 25 million citizens of Shanghai. That started today. Yes, so uh, in a world first, military transport planes have been drafted to Shanghai as its 25 million residents undergo a three-day mass testing from Sunday aimed at cutting COVID-19 transmission chains in China's most developed metropolis. Let's stop just for a moment, Doc. <laughs> did, you, did you all catch just the first sentence? Military transport planes yes. landed in Shanghai to begin the testing of 25 million people. Over three days. <laughs> in three days. In three days. Yes. And so... But Over you, 7 million people a day. 7.5 yes. million people a day to be tested. Now, the rapid testing exercise was carried out as Shanghai announced a record 9,000 new ca cases amid a citywide lockdown. So they had to lock down the city to do this. Total infections since March 1st, when the current outbreak began, have now topped 61,000. Most of them asymptomatic, making detection difficult. So people aren't even sick with COVID. They carry COVID. I don't think they're so, being, I don't think, I, don't that's think, so I think it's a roundup of dissidents. I agree with you. I think that's exactly what's going on. and gives them a perfect opportunity to pull this off. It says all the city's residents, now listen to this are required to take part in Monday's nucleic acid testing with positive results leading to hospitalization or quarantine within 36 hours of the start of the exercise, which began in the early morning. Now on Sunday, all citizens were required to conduct a rapid antigen test on themselves at home. So they had to do a test on themselves first, and then they were uh, given nucleic acid testing, a different test. And so goes on to say, and this is when the military uh, arrived. Several Y-20 planes and 2,000 PLA soldiers landed at Shanghai's Hongqiao International Airport Sunday evening. They were among more than 10,000 medical staff and testing professionals, along with equipment from more than 10 provincial governments and the PLA since the Shanghai uh, uh, head of the exercises, exercise, Jinhua said. And so this really is the first time since the beginning of the 
COVID nonsense here that started back at the beginning in 2020 that we've seen the military actively, mm -hmm. any military actively participating in mass testing or mass application of the injections. Okay, so uh, imagine tomorrow, tomorrow morning you, you wake up and you, you, you're watching the local news and they're telling you that during the night while you were sleeping, military transport planes landed in your city, mm -hmm. thousands of soldiers were on board and they had spread out through the city. Locked down the city. They had locked down the city, nobody could leave, and they were going house to house testing people. And if your child tested positive, they would remove your child and take them to a quarantine center. Imagine that, because that's how the people of Shanghai, that's how they started their day today. That's the China way. And that's so, what the Democrats want to bring to America. You know, you and I, we've been, uh, you know, you visited Shanghai. Mm -hmm. Have you, you yes. visited Shanghai, haven't you? And so uh, we've both been to Shanghai and on uh, different trips. And Shanghai, great city, wonderful mm -hmm. city, beautiful, gorgeous huge, city. Massive. But huge. I mean, driving in from the airport, you think, it doesn't end. We're, we're all these people, they're everywhere, buildings everywhere. And it's hard for me to even comprehend that they can take a city the size of Shanghai and, and in three days test, test every single one of them. And, and DNA the testing on every, they did a DNA test on every single person yes. in three days yes. in that city. See, nucleic acid, uh, nucleic acid yes. testing is DNA testing, yes. right? Okay. So, and that might tell you a little bit something maybe what they have planned for the future as well. So, wow. But that is interesting that they're doing DNA testing on their own citizens. They, they have a sample now, a DNA sample of every person who lives in Shanghai. Yes. And they did it in three days. That is, it's impressive in the, in the sense of the administrative skill it took to carry that off. And what but thought, it also tells you it's, it's frightening to know that the Chinese communist government can do it. Right. And w the word they used, and this is number 34 for control, I'll put the quote back up real quick. This is an exercise. This <laughs> is an exercise. All right. So uh, in other words, this was not necessarily something they had to do. This was an exercise. The rapid testing exercise was carried out. So, Rick, I think this is the first of many, uh, you know, quote, exercises that we're going to be seeing in China uh, over the next few weeks. When will it arrive here? Well, it depends when that ceasefire ends, right? Yeah. Well, Fauci, Fauci uh, Dr. Mengele has been uh, hinting uh, lately that there are going to be more stringent lockdowns coming. He, he, he even talked about indoor mask mandates. So that would include your house. You'd have to have a mask on in your home. Uh, we'd have to have mask on here inside the church. Okay, uh, Fauci is still out there. He's laying low, but every once in a while he pops up with a, a warning. Um, he obviously doesn't fear criminal prosecution for his crimes. He's got a pass. Right. He's, he's covered. He's got immunity. Somebody's taking care of Fauci. Give him big giant checks from Israel, too. Yeah. So, <laughs> so uh, he should be handcuffed. He ought to be uh, behind bars. He ought to be making license plates right now. Uh, but he doesn't worry about it at all because there's nobody in this country that's going to go after him. A couple more stories before we wrap it up. Uh, Joe Biden's uh, nominee for the Supreme Court. She is pro-pedophilia. She is pro-child molesters, and the U.S. Senate may just put her on the Supreme Court as a justice. I believe they're going to do it. And so, so well, you've already had a Republican senator uh, who's already said she's a, a, um, Collins of Maine. Right. So you only need one Republican and to Rom defect. And Romney's probably going to go yes. with her, too. And so, well... Um, in this particular case here, Supreme Court nominee Ketanji Brown-Jackson gave a lenient sentence to a child rapist who would go on to attack again. And so you've got to ask the question, these policies that these people profess to, uh, they have impact later on. They, they affect real people's lives. 
Uh, you can't just operate within a philosophical environment. You have to ask yourself, if this person is released, what would be, what would happen? He'll do it again. It'll happen again. But she's more worried about the child rapist than the child that was raped. Right. That woman could be on the Supreme Court for 30 years. Uh, a person who doesn't know what a woman is. Yes. So. This, this is the best Joe Biden can come up with. By the yep. way, Joe Biden said over the weekend, he uh, commended his wife, Jill, for serving as Barack Obama's vice president. <laughs> is he even there? Okay. I, I heard that Barack Obama uh, visited the White House. Uh, I think he's either visiting today or tomorrow uh, to promote Obamacare. I didn't even know uh, there was anything to promote there. Yeah. But uh, he's probably coming in to you know, talk to Joe, too. So, Hey, one final big story, and that is uh, Elon Musk has uh, purchased 9% of Twitter. <laughs> uh, this is interesting. I don't really know what to make of this. So last week, uh, uh, Elon Musk had tweeted about uh, you know, uh, about free speech on Twitter and everything. And then n numerous people were tweeting back at him, uh, you know, and commenting on his uh, uh, thread that, well, may, why don't you just buy Twitter, Elon? Why don't you just buy it? So uh, at past couple of weeks, he's been talking about starting his own social media company. Uh, so Elon Musk disclosed a 9% stake in Twitter, turning one of the mo social media company's most famous users into its largest shareholder. So in a securities filing Monday, Mr. Musk reported owning almost 73.5 million shares of Twitter as of March 14th, representing a stake valued at $2.9 billion based on Friday's closing price. This gives Mr. Musk more Twitter shares than even company co-founder and former CEO Jack Dorsey, as well as large investors such as the Vanguard Group. And so... Well, um, the first thing he should do to prove that he is a champion of free speech is reinstate the account of Donald J. Trump and every other conservative who was banned from Twitter. Sure, why not? I mean, if he, if he is really a defender of free speech, let's see him take it that far. Or if he's in this only for a money play uh, to uh, see, uh, you know, m uh, make a few uh, pennies here I off mean, You know, if he did reinstate President Trump's account, would President Trump use it when he has his own service, Truth Social? Well, and that's a great question. You know, uh, Truth Social lost two of their uh, two key executives today. No, I didn't know that. Yeah, this is this Who is just happened lose? to Do you know? their uh, chief technology officer and their, I think their chief marketing officer, if I'm uh, recalling right. They were two people that had formerly been on The Apprentice. Mm -hmm. uh, and... Uh, they weren't the CEO of Devin Nunes' CEO right. and everything, but they were two high-level people that were at, uh, they were the ones that originally pitched True Social to mm -hmm. Donald Trump back at the beginning of uh, 2021. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, so for them to leave was a significant thing. So who knows what's going to happen at True Social. Would Donald Trump go on Twitter? Yeah, he probably would just to say he's, he's back and, and everything, but, uh, you know, uh, he does have his own private platform now. And, so. and, and if Elon Musk did reinstate Donald Trump and a lot of conservatives who were deplatformed, would Twitter employees walk out? Well, as a matter of fact, there are... Uh, Which could be the best thing that could happen to the company. Actually, on Twitter today, you saw numerous Twitter employees saying, I will not work with or for Elon Musk. I'm resigning. Be, that's the best thing that could happen to him. Because then he, he cleaned house, he can bring in a new, a new team of employees. Right. Because these social media companies are populated with far leftists who hate free speech rights for anybody that doesn't agree with their whacked out, crazy, demented concept of reality. Now, I'm at odds on this particular issue with yeah. Elon Musk uh, buying a portion mm -hmm. of Twitter because I just don't trust Elon Musk right. the way it is. A guy who shoots cars in the space right. and digs holes in the ground, I, I don't... I don't just, it's hard for me to accept that Elon Musk is even a real person. I know. Uh, but, I, uh, I agree. He probably went over to QTEL, the, the CIA uh, investment house, and said, I need a couple billion dollars to buy Twitter. And then QTEL went over to the Federal Reserve and said, we need you to make some fake money, put it over in our account. <laughs> Elon's going to go buy Twitter. It's, 
nothing's real, Doc. Nothing. I know. That's nothing's why nothing's real anymore except Jesus Christ. Amen. He's real. You can believe Jesus Christ, and you can believe the Word of God. Heaven and earth will pass away, but the Word of God will not pass away. You can put your faith in God. What He said will happen. Will happen. He is a God who speaks only truth because he is truth. Thank you for watching us today. We appreciate your prayers and your support. We will be back here tomorrow. God bless. God bless you.